I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, August 17th, 2021. Coming up, we'll check out the My Colorado smartphone digital ID for proof of vaccination. We've already got more signups this month than we've ever had in a month. And we'll look at how race cars at Boulder's Shelby American Collection have helped shape car innovation. So these American hot rodders from Venice, California, operating out of a facility about the size of our museum here, won the race. We begin with a look at how COVID is leading to some requirements to prove vaccination, leading to the need for an easier way to carry a trustworthy vaccination card. The current vaccination card is too big to fit in a wallet. It's paper with scribbled signatures, so pretty easy to fake. Now the state of Colorado's official smartphone app provides an easier way. It's the My Colorado Smartphone Digital ID. Instead of asking you to upload a photo of your driver's license or a photo of your vaccination card, the My Colorado Digital ID app verifies your identity to put the state's valid digital version of your driver's license or your vaccination record onto the phone. For more, here's Russell Castagnaro, the state of Colorado's digital transformation director. Even if you want to get to Hawaii, you have to prove that you don't have COVID or you've had a test they are making it so that you have to go to one of the healthcare providers that will give you a health card that indicates that you had this test result. And it's using technology to verify that it's true. The encrypted technology. Yes. Hawaii has the kind of machines that can read the encryption validation yes. for the smart health cards. And you want them to be able to do that for these smartphone IDs and vaccination records too. Europe is also leaning away with this. They're fully embracing the smart health card standard. In France, they're requiring it. In the United States, Access, they announced that a bunch of their events are going to require immunization proof. When you say access, do you mean access to Red Rocks through the Access app for tickets? Yeah, access to Red Rocks, like AXS, the ticket company. Is this really catching on? Are a lot of people signing up to do this? We've already gotten more signups this month than we've ever had in a month. How many total people have signed up so far? We have 165,000 active accounts right now. And you're ready to have 2 million accounts, more than that. Let's do it. Yeah, let's make it happen. My Colorado is the state of Colorado's official app for getting on your smartphone a valid digital driver's license and vaccination record. If you'd like more details about the app, we'll link to an extended interview on our website, howonearthradio.org. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Shelley Schlender. Up next, a look at the future of cars. This is the beginning of a two-part series about the future of cars. Cars help us get around. But in this summer of heat waves and wildfires and shrinking natural habitats, it's worth a reminder that cars produce almost a third of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. For the sake of cars, we bury land under highways and parking lots. CU Denver transportation engineer Wes Marshall says these are reasons many people have a love-hate relationship with cars, including him. I do love driving. 
I just don't think that cars and cities are compatible. Wes Marshall thinks the best car for the future would be this. <sighs> Only a bicycle. <laughs> Probably a bicycle. <laughs> Wes Marshall hates how much cars dominate city design. We'll hear more about his research and his vision for a future of fewer cars next week. Today, we'll look at how the love of cars has shaped car innovation. For the love of cars, let's go back in time, 75 years to 1966. The 60s were a time when few people worried about greenhouse gas emissions or too many roads. Most people loved cars, especially fast cars. They even wrote songs about fast cars, like this. Hey, little Cobra, don't you know you're gonna shut up The Little Cobra was a sports car designed by a race car driver named Carol Shelby. Shelby's Cobra was a curvy little muscle car that would fit right into a Walt Disney cartoon movie about adorable cars, or a James Bond movie about sexy cars. Back in the 1960s, the Shelby Cobra won a lot of races, which is why the song's refrain goes like this. Hey, little Cobra, don't you know you're gonna shut down? Wikipedia explains that in hot rod slang, Shut him down means to beat the other cars in a race. You can step back in time and walk among real Cobra race cars at Boulder's Shelby American Collection Museum. Like many people today, I don't know much about cars. Still, I wanted to see some really cool cars, plus learn whether they offer any lessons in how to spark innovation, maybe even green innovation. A car expert agreed to give us a tour. Steve Volk is a founder of Boulder Shelby American Collection, and he used to be a race car driver. Volk arrived at his car museum in not a hay little Cobra. Volk drove up in a big modern SUV. I know nothing about cars. I tried to make small talk. Steve, yes. I see that you drive a Ford. I do. <laughs> now, the Ford that you just drove here is just a regular car. No, it's a Ford Performance. It's an Explorer, an ST. I did not find great meaning in the letters ST. Still trying to connect in a people-who-love-cars way, I asked Steve Volk the only other thing I actually know how to ask about a car, besides its color. How fast does it go? It's pretty fast. It's got about 400 horse. If you can't translate the horsepower of an SUV into miles per hour, it's complicated. Fortunately, I had brought my own vintage race car expert to help me ask more meaningful questions. The expert's name is Randy Sharp. Randy's been a race car mechanic. Randy's here along with his wife, Rita. Randy's the one who knows about cars. I know where the tires are. That's great. (laughs) Steve Volk listened amiably while he worked to unlock the rolling metal doors at his Shelby American collection. Many cars in the museum are worth millions of dollars. That's the rolling metal doors. (laughs) The place is huge. Wow. Beautiful cars. The beautiful cars included curvy Hey Little Cobras plus sleek Mustangs. If you'd like to see these cars yourself, here's Steve Volk, founder of the Shelby American Collection. We're open on Saturdays from 10 to 4. We had to cancel our big gala last year, which was Labor Day in September, but we're planning a really large gala this year. September? Yeah, I think by September most folks that want a vaccine will have a vaccine. And it's an indoor and outdoor event. We usually get about 700, 800 people. The annual gala will be Labor Day weekend on Saturday. 
You can reserve a spot at the Shelby American Collection website, and you can buy a raffle ticket to win a really fancy car. Steve Volk says that despite the pandemic, he's expecting people from all over the world to be at this year's gala. We get about 200 collector cars outside. Aaron Shelby will be here and Peter Miles. Did you guys see the movie? Ford versus Ferrari. That's what we're talking about here is those kinds of cars. That's correct. Because it was a Shelby Ford that beat the Italian cars. That's right. We have those cars here. We have the Ken Miles car that he drove at the 66 Le Mans. Let's go look at it. Okay. We stroll past dozens of vintage race cars. They're reminders of the recent Ford versus Ferrari movie that starred Matt Damon and Christian Bale. The movie is a vivid reenactment of this era where people were crazy about fast cars. For the historical accuracy of the era of Ford versus Ferrari, the movie makers consulted the Shelby American Collection. Race car mechanic Randy Sharp says this collection represents a special era of race car innovation. This is really the glory days of racing. The efforts now are in the hundreds of millions yearly budgets for racing teams. These were teams that people gave their heart and soul and all their time to racing. Randy's right. Steve Volk says innovation doesn't always depend on multi-million dollar budgets and carefully scripted corporate everything. Back in the 1960s, some of the best innovations for racing cars came from a hot rodder with an independent shop in Venice, California, a hot rodder named Carroll Shelby. Carroll Shelby, he had a tremendous amount of innovations, and he was a race car driver. He raced Ferraris, Maseratis, Aston Martins. He won Le Mans, the 24 Hours of Le Mans, as a driver in 1959. We'll get back to Carroll Shelby in a minute, but first, Steve Volk has mentioned a contest called Le Mans. And that's a reminder that it helps for the future of any good innovations to have a really exciting contest. For people who love fast cars, one of the best contests is named after a small city southwest of Paris. Le Mans is how it looks to be spelled. Shelby American Collection founder Steve Volk calls it Le Mans. Le Mans is an endurance race. It's in France. It's a 24-hour continuous race. It is the most prestigious race in the world, and it is a test of a manufacturer's car in terms of how fast it can go and how long it can last. It still goes on today? Oh, yes. It's still very, very popular. Those races feature gas-powered race cars with loud gas engines. At some point, the range of electric cars might get so good, they're likely to win a 24-hour race. When that happens, races like Le Mans will be much quieter. So I asked Steve Volk, are you going to miss the sound of the... Do these engines sound pretty loud when they go? Yeah. Do you want to start one? Oh, yes. Okay, we can do that. In the interest of our scientific investigation into the love of fast vintage cars, Steve Volk agreed to start the gas engine of a vintage Cobra race car. So which car do you want to do this with? Start this 427 Cobra. How old is this 427 Cobra? Uh, It's a 64. It's one of 23 that Carroll Shelby built, and it's a full competition 427 Cobra, so it's... It's quite the thing. Which color is it? Which one? It's uh, Guardsman Blue, this one. Okay, so this is one with bucket seats. It has a little roll bar. Yes. Let me uh, grab a fire extinguisher. 
Race car mechanic Randy Sharp says fire safety is a good idea. They're old cars. Things deteriorate, and I'm sure these are in very good shape, and I'm sure he's dealing with a one in a thousand chance that he would have a problem. But it's always good to have safety first, which you learned quickly in racing. You looked very relieved when he mentioned the fire extinguisher. (laughs) It's just a thought. I hadn't thought of that, and it's a very good idea. As if a fire extinguisher isn't enough, Steve Volk gives us a shiny gray blanket. I'll also give you a fire blanket, and that's your first line if this backfires through the carburetor. A fire blanket? Is this like a blanket I put on a bed, or is it asbestos or something? Yeah, this is asbestos, and it can put out a fire very easily without, let me just grab this, without um, having to discharge a a fire extinguisher. As Steve Volk gets into the car, the leather seats on this vintage Cobra squeak. First thing I'm going to do is, there's battery cutoffs back here. So I'm going to energize this. And then I'm going to uh, turn on the fuel pumps. So I've got to get some fuel pressure. So we've got fuel pressure, so I'll power these down. He warns me to dial back the recording levels on my microphone. So as you listen to what happens next, keep in mind that the real sound is ten times louder. And see if we can make it happen. Race car mechanic Randy Sharp says that's a race car sound. <laughs> that definitely hits on all eight. Do race car drivers wear earplugs? Oh, yes, all the time. Does anyone around the racing track wears earplugs? Does this car have a muffler? No. Well, this has some resonator in it. Oh, it does? Okay. Because it would just be overwhelming. There's a smell in the air of gasoline, but there's also another kind of smell with it. That's just the heat of the car having warmed up. Maybe it's the oil. Yeah. It suddenly smells like a race car. Yeah, well, it is. About 600 horsepower. It's aluminum body. It weighs 2,400 pounds. It gives me, as somebody who doesn't know much about cars, a different feeling for why they matter, what it's led to and what the risks are that people took to get them to be more exciting and better. And I had no idea how loud they are. Really, compared to the GT40s, this is nothing. You know, if we were to start one of the Mark IVs, you have to have ear protection on really, really loud. I'm a little disconcerted that you keep gasoline in all of these. Oh, just a, a tiny bit. We need to start them occasionally. For their own health and safety? Yes. Yes. Do you have sprinkler systems in yeah, here? this is fully sprinklered, and you can see smoke detectors and carbon monoxide detectors. Hey, little Cobra, don't you know you're going to shut up down? I'm Shelley Slender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. We're talking about the glory days of car racing by visiting Boulder's Shelby American Collection. And now that we've heard the sound of a real race car, let's talk more about why the 24-hour race called Le Mans 
is such a great test of a car's performance, including the fact that the race is very dangerous. Le Mans is an eight-and-a-half-mile-long oval raceway. Much of the track is a French country highway that gets closed to public drivers during a race. Le Mans used to have straightaways where drivers clocked nearly 250 miles an hour. That led to fatal crashes. To slow things down, race officials added snaky curves called chicanes to the straightaways. Now the fastest drivers tend to clock speeds under 210 miles an hour. Fewer people die these days, but the track is still fast. Plus, with every lap, racers have to brake for at least one tight turn, dropping down to 60 miles an hour. So they stress the throttle, they stress the brakes, round and around for 24 hours. The car that does the most laps without braking wins. The total winning distance tends to be around 3,400 miles. How does that compare with normal driving? Google Maps says that in 24 hours, you could drive the 1,700 miles from Boulder to Richmond, Virginia. In the 24-hour Le Mans contest, winners drive almost twice as far on a track with treacherous turns and chicanes. Usually the car that wins Le Mans is a European Ferrari or Porsche, etc. In the 1960s, Ford wanted to win. But in 1964, their very expensive corporate racing effort crashed and burned. Fortunately, earlier, Ford had inadvertently paved the way for a future success by giving a little help to a hot rodder named Carroll Shelby. Here's Shelby American Collection founder Steve Volk. Carroll won it as a driver in 1959, but Carroll had a congenital heart problem, and he had to stop racing in 1960. When he had to stop racing and couldn't be a driver anymore. He had this dream of building his own race car. He liked the British sports cars. Well, I can see why they all look like 007 would drive them. They handle extremely well, but he felt they were underpowered. He took this chassis from the AC car company in England, and he went to AC, and he said, hey, I got this deal with Ford. He didn't at the time. And then he went to Ford and he said, I got this deal with AC. And that wasn't true either. He got support from Ford. They provided him engines and some financing. And then he got chassis from the AC car company and built the AC Cobra. And, th- and this is the very first Cobra in 1962. This is a beautiful topaz blue car with headlights that make it look like it's looking straight at you. There's something about the curves of this car that is so much more beautiful than most cars are today, quite honestly. And it's hard to do this. It's hard to take metal and bend it in these ways, but it's really gorgeous. Yeah, it's all hand-formed aluminum. So uh, Carol kept this car up until his death in 2012, and then one of our supporters bought it, $14 million. At that time, what year was that? Five years ago. I'm not going to touch it. That's a little bit too pricey for me, but it's just a gorgeous car. Yeah. So this is the very first Cobra. In 1964, the same year that Ford's official racing program failed at Le Mans, Carroll Shelby's peppy little Cobra did great. And Ford had massive resources there and people. All four of their cars crapped out, but the Shelby American Daytona Coupe won Le Mans. It won the race. In 64. So these American hot rodders from Venice, California, operating out of a facility about the size of our museum here, won the race. It was at that point in time that Ford knew that they had to team up with Shelby American because of their innovation being California hot rodders. They could move so quickly. 
Ford hired Shelby to revamp their race car program. What Ford wanted out of the deal is they wanted a car that could beat the Corvette on the racetrack and in the showroom. So these were street cars, and these were sold at your local Ford dealership. But Carroll's real focus was on racing. And in terms of racing, he won everything. In 1966, Shelby shocked the European world of racing when American Fords he had helped design won Le Mans. There was no Lamborghini or Ferrari that could outrun a 427 Cobra. And Carroll used to, for the press, take a $100 bill, open the glove box, and stick it halfway in, then slam the glove box. So half of it was hanging out. He would tell the press, look, I'm going to go from zero to 100 and then back down to zero. As a passenger, if you can grab that $100 bill, you can have it. The 427 Cobra would accelerate to 100 miles an hour and back down to zero in 13 seconds. So it was a test of the acceleration and the brakes. Okay, and the person who was going to grab the $100 bill would instead find their hair standing straight up, and they wouldn't have the $100 bill. That's right. They were never able to grab it. There's a lot of innovation in these cars. Brakes that were less likely to burn out. Ways to balance the car so that when it went really fast, it wouldn't fly off the road like an airplane. Racing's been very important for innovation, even in passenger cars. But at the Shelby American Collection, Steve Volk says that innovation sometimes includes a great deal of risk. And the development of honeycomb aluminum is an example. Steel tub. So that's kind of the bottom of the car that holds everything up. Yeah, but it goes all the way up here and around there. And then the, the doors are fiberglass. For the Mark IVs, they used a different material. They used aluminum honeycomb. This is aluminum. Now, aluminum honeycomb means that it's not solid aluminum. It's more like cardboard, you know, where it's got holes in it so that it has structure, but it doesn't weigh as much. That's right. It had never been used for a race car, so it was the first use because it was a new material that Ford Aerospace and Brunswick were using for radar domes. And somebody got the idea, hey, we could build a really lightweight car. The problem was they didn't understand in those days how to attach the suspension to the aluminum honeycomb. Two months after a driver named Ken Miles drove the winning Ford at Le Mans, Ken Miles was test driving a new car made from honeycomb aluminum. And the car came apart, and that's what killed him. Actually, you have the remains of the car that he was killed in. That's just one of the stories about innovation that you can learn by visiting the Shelby American Collection. In the future, could Le Mans help inspire interest in green cars? The answer is maybe. This year's Le Mans is Saturday and Sunday, August 21st and 22nd. It looks like a Toyota hybrid gas electric race car will be on the track. In recent years, that gas-electric hybrid has won the race. As for a fully electric car, some teams hope to have one with enough range and fast charging time that in the next three years, an electric car can win Le Mans. Whether future generations will even care about race cars Steve Volk says the race cars of the past inspired a lot of innovation, and he talks as if some cars know this. Take a Cobra race car he has never restored. Even down to the tires. It's not shiny like the other cars. It's got more of that soft, buttery sheen, the color of the blue. And the tires, my goodness, you can tell that the tread is not as thick on it. Right. This was driven by Phil Hill. I don't know if you're an atheist or a pantheist or what, but do you feel like 
you can kind of talk to these cars. Oh, yeah. But I don't know if I'm a pantheist. I don't know what that means. You feel like there's something in these cars that is more than engine and oh, metal? A car like this, I feel it. It went to Europe in 64. This FIA Roadster and this Cobra Daytona Coupe won 60% of the points. So you're talking numbers, but you also said you feel it. Yeah. What do you mean? Oh, just to think that Bondurant running at Rossfeld on the, winning the last race of the season, the hill climb, or Jack Sears driving at Nürburgring. Do you feel like the car feels it? Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to go with that. I, you know, there's some thought that the way that our bodies make our cells and our cells specialize in what they do is that they all find out what their place is. That place that they're in helps define what they're going to be and that the cells talk with each other. And that's how we become a human being. Now, we, of course, don't say that engines and cars can do that, but you kind of feel like there's something there. I do, yeah. I'll see if I can get that into the science show. Hey, little Cobra, don't you know you're going to shut them down? I'm Shelley Schlender. We've been talking about the future of cars by looking back at the days when people loved cars that go fast. Our two experts have been Randy Sharp, a race car mechanic, and Steve Volk, a former race car driver who is a founder of Boulder's Shelby American Collection of famous American race cars. The collection will have a gala celebration Labor Day weekend. Next week, we'll share part two of this series about the future of cars. Our guest will be CU Denver transportation engineer Wes Marshall, who sort of wants us to love cars less. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Beth Bennett. This week's show was produced and engineered by yours truly, Shelley Schlender. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Hey Little Cobra by The Records and Crosstown Traffic by Jimi Hendrix. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender.